Our thoughts and prayers are with the family of Sydney Monfries during this difficult time. I'm Jeff Umbrell. And I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. Today, Diamantina Kafalis speaks to the issues of being a trans student in a university without a trans-inclusive housing policy. Then, Carly Freeman and Shani Rao discuss their one-night-only production of their original musical, The Shakespeare Company. Last, Lena Widenbrook invites us to her McMahon kitchen to make some banana pancakes. This is Retrospect, the official podcast of the Fordham Observer. Joining us now is Diamantina Kafalis. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Dia, can you talk about your experience as a trans person who dormed here at Lincoln Center? Of course. Uh, so I lived on campus for three out of my four years here at Fordham. This is my fourth, and this is my first and only year living off campus. This is also incidentally the first year that I am living openly as a trans woman. I came out as trans in junior year, which was last year, last spring, when I was still dorming on campus. I was in a men's dorm because that's what my ID said at the time and that's how I identified at the time, but I chose to move off campus because more than a couple times trans students had told me that Fordham would be completely unhelpful and unaccommodating when it came to trans housing. Can you expand on that? Can you give more detail as to how exactly Fordham doesn't accommodate trans students? Well, for example, they do housing based on, from what it appears to me, gender on birth certificate, which is incredibly difficult to change in most states. And even still, students have been kind of like told not even then it might be a little funky. So, for example, I don't have any of my gender markers changed, which means that Fordham wouldn't consider dorming me with women at all. Now, other Jesuit universities and colleges actually have fairly progressive trans-inclusive policies. Why do you think Fordham is so behind the times on this? Fordham definitely loves to use the justification that we're a Jesuit university and this is within Jesuit teaching, but... I don't know exactly where in Jesuit teaching it says that you have to treat your students like garbage. Do you believe that it is against the spirit of Jesuit teaching to deny trans students accommodations like any other student? Of course. The amount of times they tell us that they're going to care for us, but then they don't actually do anything, is incredibly hypocritical to me. And I've kind of had it with them hiding behind the Jesuit reasoning for that, because Even if it was, other Jesuit schools don't abide by that. Would you mind sharing some stories of how being trans has negatively affected your experience here at Fordham? Well, for instance, I didn't feel comfortable living on campus knowing that they would dorm me with men. Even if I was able to find roommates that were, like, respectful and, like, close to me or, like, just wouldn't be transphobic, that's, like, one thing. Just to be treated on an institutional level as a gender that I'm not is incredibly invalidating. It feels horrid. It feels garbage to be, like, referred to with he, him pronouns until corrected otherwise, just because Fordham has no way of, like, me altering that without changing everything legally, which is a pretty intense process because I have to get, like, things signed and everything. 
that and also because I live off campus now, I have a half hour to 40 minute commute from like way up in the heights, which has made me late for class multiple times. And it means that I can't stay on campus as long. I If I stay on campus too long, it gets late. The subways get dangerous. The streets get dangerous. So I have to like take that into account when going home. And especially as a trans person, walking around at nighttime is a lot more dangerous. So to be honest, Fordham's policies have made my life much more unsafe, not just on campus, but off campus. So your decision to move off campus for your own mental health has now actually placed you in physical jeopardy. My mental health is better off campus, but physically I'm in more danger than I was living on campus because I can't, I can't get to class without taking the subway. While the administration knows that students are displeased with the policies concerning trans students, it doesn't seem as if they're willing to really engage with them on this issue. I think one of the first things that has to change is Fordham really does rely on one group of students really like pioneering this, pushing for it, and then they graduate and then everything stops. I think there needs to be a lot better communication between upperclassmen and underclassmen, better like education of underclassmen in like what these policies actually mean and why they need to change. Because even in like other issues such as like sexual assault like reform and like policy changes regarding that, Fordham really has kind of leaned very heavily on the assumption that these students are going to graduate and then they won't have to deal with it anymore. Upperclassmen and underclassmen need to be working much more closely together to ensure that this becomes a long-term issue that Fordham can't ignore. Do you have any advice or anything to say to students who are currently battling these issues? Don't let up. Fordham loves to be able to talk its way out of situations, so don't let them. Dia, thanks for joining us. No problem. Lights up on Eastridge High School. We're joined now by the creative team behind the Shakespeare Company. Would you kindly introduce yourselves? Sure. I'm Carly Freeman, and I wrote the book, the music, and lyrics for the Shakespeare Company. I'm Shani Rao, and I was the producer and director. So in the article that was written for The Observer, uh, it was mentioned that this was something that had been in the works for years. Can you talk about how the project started? So I am a songwriter through and through. And I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, which is like a very, very big songwriting city. So like my brother-in-law is a professional songwriter. I knew a bunch of people who were songwriters. But I was obsessed with musical theater. And Nashville's really good at country, but we aren't that great at musicals. Um, I don't even know where I got the story idea, but I just started writing this story about um, this kid who wrote plays for his high school theater company, which is really ironic because I homeschooled. Um, but I, yeah, I just started the story and over time I kept on building more and more songs. And then when I had this whole body of songs, I started reshaping the show and the book so that the story fit the songs I was writing. You were 13, right? When you started? I, yeah, I have very painful demos of me singing the opening number at age 13. So how did the process of getting the cast together work? 
Yeah, so we asked people we were interested to audition, and we also like advertised it as an open call, and then we did two days of auditions, and this is what came of it. We had a very good turnout, and so we had great people to choose from, and we were really happy with the cast we got. They were all phenomenal. We're so lucky. How long was the process, starting from when you really decided to start producing this play? I think we started in February, right, going through and, like, fully fully like doing final edits on the scripts we like read through the whole thing together over a couple weeks and then we did casting and we had one rehearsal before spring break and then after that we had about a two and a half week rehearsal process and over spring break I was rewriting the entire musical so I spent like a week at my piano just fixing the entire thing so the musical that you see now is not the musical that you would have seen before spring break how did you get the dean's office behind the production? Yeah, so I know Mary Bly. She was my freshman advisor, and we got to know each other through that. And so I talked to her about it, and she was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'll help you with that. And so she and the grad student assistant, Joshua Bishop, have been very, very helpful yeah. throughout this whole process. In terms of the actual night of the performance, what was going through your heads right before things were really getting started? Well, um, so one of our cast members actually has a fever, and she was very sick, so we had to pull someone in the day up, and so we spent up literally until doors opened, just trying to shove her in. In about two hours, we like did everything, taught her all her parts, and put her into the show. So that's really, we didn't have any time to stop and think. We were like full on just fixing everything last minute. I feel like everything in my mind was just, what chords should I be playing on the piano? Please may I not mess up the opening number? The opening number is the one I just always will, like get flustered on and mess up. So in my mind, I was just thinking D, A, D, and calling the chords out in my head. So that's what I was thinking. <laughs> she handles the missing people. I handle the music. Was there a particular moment during the show that felt like, wow, I can't believe that they actually like that? I got the like the privilege to like watch everyone from my position up there. And I think just <laughs> watching the audience reactions and getting to witness that was pretty much the mm-hmm. coolest thing. Yeah. And for me, I think the magic moment is my um, lead character's like big act one solo. It's called Survival. And he and I were just like together on it. We hit all the emotional beats. We hit all the musical beats. And getting that behind me, I felt like, oh my goodness, this show's going to work. Also, just seeing the growth in the cast from yeah. these people. They all yeah. came from like different levels of acting and singing mm-hmm. experience. And seeing them all pull together, like they did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and there was so much, so much growth. Yeah. What most surprised you during the show? During the show. That I didn't mess up. <laughs> I think that's what surprised me the most. I think just like seeing how it just went to this full other level beyond what we'd ever seen in rehearsal. Like everyone really took it and sometimes shows they just play the same way, but everyone just took it and went above and beyond what we could have ever asked for. So what's next for the Shakespeare Company? Where is it going to go after this one night only performance? I think that that's a big, big question that's in everyone's minds now, and it's something you have to go back now and think about, especially Carly has to think about where she wants to go from here. I feel like tonight I'm thinking, oh my goodness, we did it, and then tomorrow I'll be like, okay, what are we going to do now? Yeah. (laughs) Um, But for tonight, I'm still writing the high of actually having it performed. So what's next for the two of you? Hopefully we're going to do some music videos for the show. Yes. That's the dream. I want to do that. Um, Yeah, I want to like go more into film, maybe film musicals. Yeah. Yeah. What, you, what about for you? I don't know. You know, I'm just taking life as it happens, I think. 
if you try too much to plan, like you miss out on the opportunities like this. If I just, you know, stuck to the track of I have to do things within the majors I have, I would have missed yeah. out on a lot of the best things that have happened. It's, this is really a highlight of the year so far. I've been so lucky to have someone who like I trust both with the creative aspects of the project and someone who I trust to like figure out all the logistics <laughs> and to take care of me when I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So that that's yeah. everything she does. And we have very good communication. I think that's really the height of any good like working relationship. Our of... text message string is eternal. Yeah. <laughs> if there was something that you could say to those who are struggling creatively, who think that they might not be able to do the things that they want to do, what would you say to them? My whole philosophy is one, don't worry about like if you're talented enough or if you have the means to, you just, ambition is what gets you there. And secondly, just do things. You don't have to wait for the moment because there is no such thing as the correct moment to do something. You just have to take it and roll with it. Yeah, and for me, for people who are like writers and creatives, for me the biggest thing is keep writing. Because when you start writing, it may turn out terribly. It may be something that you would never want the world to see. But if you keep working on it and you keep working on it, workshopping it for five years like I did, eventually it's something that you're proud of. Thank you both so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Just writing and fighting the memories away. I'll keep writing and writing and writing and writing and writing. It's survival. We are here with Assistant Sports and Health Editor Lena Weidenbrook in her McMahon kitchen. Lena, thanks for having us here. I'm excited to be here. So, we're going to be doing some on-air cooking today. What will we be making? Today we're going to be making some banana pancakes with only two ingredients, two eggs and one banana. So this came from your uh, recent article in The Observer about McMahon cooking. So what about this recipe makes it so well-suited for dorm kitchens? Well, it only has the two ingredients, so it's two common ingredients that a lot of people already have. It takes sometimes a little longer than other times if you uh, don't get the temperature quite right, but it's really fast. And I personally think it tastes really good. It's a little healthier spin on pancakes. Do you cook a lot in your dorm? I try to. It's sometimes tempting to not and go out, but yeah, I try to. I usually always start off the day at least by cooking Mm -hmm. breakfast. All right, let's make some pancakes. All right. So what is the first step here? All right, first step is we're gonna grab the banana and peel it and put it in a bowl so that we can mash it up. I've never seen a mashed banana before, so. You are in for a treat. So this whole recipe, or the whole batter at least, will be made in our mixing bowl. Yep. And you're just mashing it with a fork? Yeah, just a fork. Just need a fork and a bowl and a spatula and a pan. What kind of consistency are we looking for here with this banana? So I basically just keep going until there aren't any chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all kind of a dark yellow, shiny, liquidy consistency. Um, unless you want some fun bites in there with some whole banana. But the more liquidy, the better. So as someone who doesn't cook at all. Can you just explain like the very, very basic process of making a pancake? I mean, yeah, you just, you use the one banana, two eggs, put them all in the same bowl, you do the banana first, and then I just mix it with a fork, 
And once it's blended together a little bit, um, then they're ready to cook. And you can use a blender too if you want it to be super blended. So what is this banana substituting for, like from a traditional pancake recipe? Well, it helps a lot um, when you use a ripe banana because you don't need any other sweetener. It just, the banana works. And then I guess it would be somehow substituting any type of flour or like powdery ingredients because there yeah. aren't any. So it looks like, looks like we've got pretty much the pretty right good, consistency yeah. now. Yeah, it'll blend up a little more once I put the eggs in. Mm -hmm. So we'll grab two eggs. You can do it, the two whole eggs with the yolks, or if you're trying to cut down on egg yolks, uh -huh. you can do egg whites. Okay. But I usually just do two whole eggs. Okay. And the trick that I learned for cracking them is to hit them together because mm. only one will break and it's not messy usually. So then how do you crack the second one? Then you have to, then you have to crack it on the counter. But it usually is as simple as this. It's time to get beating the eggs. So you just mix it together in the same bowl with the banana. Okay. So this is all going to blend together into one homogenous mixture? It should, yeah. <laughs> That's the idea. <laughs> It looks a little weird. I mean, it actually looks really weird. Kind of <laughs> gross, but um, yeah, the the I guess the beige from the banana is kind of mixing with the yellow from the egg yolks and just creating a slightly lighter yellow batter. Yeah, they're pretty yellow, but they turn out they turn out pretty much the same color as regular okay. pancakes once you cook them. All right, so we're over at the stove now. We have our nonstick pan over medium oh, heat. Oh yeah, important to be nonstick. So with nonstick, we don't need any kind of oil or butter or spray, right? Nope. So you're just going to be ladling bits of the bat yeah, batter? Small amounts. Small um, amounts. You want to make sure it's not too much because since it's pretty liquidy, uh, it'll be hard to flip if it's too big because um, it won't be solid on top. Mm -hmm. All right, here goes. Wow, so it actually looks a lot thicker in the pan than it looks in the bowl. Yeah. Like it, it, the batter looked a little runny in the bowl, but now it looks like it's thickened up. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It'll end up actually pretty uh, fluffy, mm -hmm. but it honestly just depends. It's kind of trial and error. So right. how long roughly are these going to cook per side? Um, For the first one, it takes a little bit longer to get going because it's probably not heated up all the way, but mm -hmm. what I usually do to tell is I give it a minute or so, and then if you move the pan around to mm -hmm. see if the top is like moving around a lot. Yeah. Um, then you know it's not ready, but... So it looks like this one's be. just about ready. Yeah, so I, I always... Know, I know it's sometimes tricky to flip. Do you have any spatula tricks or tips that you use? Yeah. I just try and get a spatula underneath it as quickly mm -hmm. as possible, because yeah. otherwise it'll sometimes break in the middle. Uh-huh. Happens a lot, but um, we'll see how this one goes. It's pretty small, so it should be good. Yeah. You can kind of hear, oh, but sometimes it'll bubble on top, or you can hear it sizzling. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always look pretty when you flip it, but you can kind of flatten it back out after. We've got a really nice brown color on the on the bottom now. It's fascinating how much like a normal pancake it looks like, mm -hmm. despite the fact that it was bananas. Yeah. I say as someone who doesn't know anything about pancakes. It kind of like fluffed up a little bit, so it's a lot thicker than it looks when it originally goes on. Mm -hmm. And then I usually give it Depending on how small it is, you can go like 30 seconds to a minute, um, because at this point, since it was cooking on the other side, the egg is mostly cooked, which is the most important part. Alright, yeah, I think this one's ready. And just throw it on a plate. So how many of these pancakes does one batch 
typically make? Um, it depends on how small you get them. This size, this will make quite a few. Um, it usually comes out with, I'd say, five or six. Okay. All right, so our pancakes are all done. We're going to try them out first just on their own, and then we're going to do one of Lena's favorite toppings, uh, some cinnamon powder. Oh, my God. Wow. So I'm definitely getting the banana. Yeah. Yeah. Banana flavor is probably... It's very strong. It's very strong. I like it a lot. I like it too. Really? Yeah. Oh, yay! <laughs> it tastes very good. Actually, this tastes like even substantially better than normal pancakes do. It's nice because you get the, the texture is identical to a regular pancake, but the taste is like a banana. All right, so we're putting some cinnamon on it right Want now. Yeah, sure. This may be too much cinnamon. We'll see. <laughs> no, I like that. Mm, yeah. You still get the banana, but the cinnamon comes through. Mm -hmm. Adds some nuance to the flavor. Yeah, exactly. I don't really have to commend you on this, Lena. This was a, an exquisite feast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah, so next time you are at home in your McMahon apartment and want to make some breakfast or some brunch, consider banana pancakes. Waking up too early, maybe we could sleep. Make you banana pancakes, pretend like it's the weekend now. This has been Retrospect. I'm Kevin Christopher Robles. And I'm Jeff Umbro. It's been a pleasure hosting Retrospect this year with Kevin. I'll be graduating in May, so this episode is my final one as host. Thanks to Kevin and Alyssa for helping to get the podcast off the ground and expanding it into an official division of The Observer for next year. Working with Jeff has been great these past couple of episodes. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. It's been a great ride, Jeff. Thanks for all the hard work you've put in over the past year. We'll be saying a more substantial goodbye to Jeff and our outgoing editor-in-chief, Colin Sheely, in a special episode after Easter break. Jeff, sign us off. Until next time. <laughs>